Thank you, Karen, and praise God for the parents that are bringing their children so they can understand not only the Easter Bunny, but who Jesus is and Holy Week. You know, one of the earliest stories we have about Jesus, not only about his birth, but afterward when he's a child, in fact, it's pretty much the only story we have about Jesus as a child, it's when he and his parents go into Jerusalem because... We're told in Luke 2, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover. Every single year his parents would do that. And what did they celebrate when they celebrated Passover? They would celebrate and remember that no matter what's going on around us, and people have already been coming up to me this morning, telling me what happened this morning in Egypt that there were churches and people worshiping just like us, and the churches were bombed, Coptic Christians in Egypt. That no matter what's going on around us, God is mighty to save. Passover was that regular remembering that in the midst of all of the tyranny, all of the violence, all of the horror, our God is mighty to save. Because the story remembers that when Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world, had the Hebrew people as slave labor, and there was nothing they could do about it. Whenever they tried to resist, it only got worse and worse. And yet God raised up Moses, who went again and again to Pharaoh, saying, let my people go. Pharaoh would not, would not. The plagues began blood and boils and locusts and on and on it went until it got to the worst plague of all which was the angel of death was going to pass over and kill the firstborn and so there was this lamb that was slaughtered so that the blood could be put on the doorposts of the hebrew people so that the angel of death would pass over and so they inserted the ritual right between the announcement of that most horrific plague to the enactment of it, this ritual that they were to do, which was going to help them not only remember, but actually right now, make it real, God is mighty to save. Now, I want to read to you the story that Jesus knew that he and his parents remembered together in Jerusalem every year, and remember all the horror his parents went through, running for their lives when he was a baby, remember? So they knew how important it was to remember that our God is mighty to save, truly. This is the ritual that's plunked right in the midst of the story. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, It shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, and then the whole assembled congregation of Israel shall slaughter it at twilight. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the lamb that same night. They shall eat it roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. 
Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with its head, legs, and inner organs. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. And that's what they did. Every good Jew, remembering that no matter what enemy blocks and thwarts the dream that God has for all creation. Our God is mighty to save. But here's the question. How does God save? I want us to think about that this morning. There's a family that moved to New Zealand. Actually, they already lived in New Zealand. They moved to another city in New Zealand. They were very committed to raising their children in the Lord, and they were between churches. So while they were between churches, they actually had worship at home together as a family. And their nine-year-old daughter offered to write the sermon. And this is the sermon she wrote. I want Chesney to come read it. You're going to see it up on the screen, too. Her name was Lucy. Wait a minute. So is the handheld on? Can we turn the handheld on? You can go ahead. When I think about God, I think of a person who would never murder or kill anyone. But when you think about it, you wonder, because wasn't it God who swept the angel of death over Egypt? It makes you think, doesn't it? Is God against it or is he not? I mean, what had the boys done to die? It was the Pharaoh, wasn't it? Now, do you realize how little we know about God? I hope you, this makes you think. Thanks for listening. How's that for a sermon? That's actually what I want us to do this morning with my sermon. I want us to think a little bit. Because I think that's exactly what Jesus wanted to do when he had them make arrangements to celebrate the Passover together later on that holy week. He made special arrangements to be in Jerusalem, which was his practice, but that was a risky thing because they were out to kill him, and he knew that. But he deliberately makes arrangements for them to be in a private place where they're not going to be disrupted because he had some very important teaching, his final teaching for his disciples over that Passover table that night. He shows up right when the Passover lamb is normally slaughtered. That's when Jesus appears on the scene. And he knows that when they celebrate Passover, they're not just going through a ritual. They are actually remembering real time, right now, that our God is mighty to save. Greater than any enemy we face, God is mighty to save. But how does God save? 
Listen to this part of the story in Luke 22. Luke 22, 14 through 23. When the hour came, Jesus took his place at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took a loaf of bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. For the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. And then they began to ask one another, which one of them it could possibly be who would do this? At that table, they all remember, as good Jews always did when they celebrated the Passover together, that God is greater than any enemy around. Any enemy power, God is mighty to save. And then Jesus reveals how God saves. Not by killing anyone, but by being killed himself. Jesus becomes the first born son who is killed. Jesus becomes the lamb that is slaughtered and the blood poured out that saves the people from the angel of death. So let me ask you, now do you realize how little we know about God? I hope this made you think. I think that's exactly what Jesus was doing at that Passover meal. Greg Boyd is a pastor of a very large church in Minnesota, and uh, he's known for writing books and preaching. He's a powerful preacher, um, and he tackles subjects that are hard. And his most recent book is titled the crucifixion of the warrior God. Now that got my attention. I've not read the book, but he also did a sermon series on it, and so I listened to the first of the sermons. And I have to tell you, he wades right into some of the toughest passages in the whole Bible. The ones that, for those of you that try to sit down and read the Bible out loud with your children or grandchildren, that make you go, whoa, wait a minute. Maybe I don't want to read this out loud with my children and grandchildren. And I appreciated his courage because he goes into those passages that portray God as violent and actually commanding violence when they go into the land, Deuteronomy 7, verse 2, where the people are to be destroyed. 
And if you don't destroy them, that you get into trouble. And so he looks, he talks about, there's about a thousand passages in the Old Testament. And he asks these hard questions like, how can Scripture be God-breathed? And how can God show up in Jesus Christ and you have these passages? Questions that you've asked too, that I've asked when I've read passages and I go, this is in the Bible? Have you ever asked that question? I have. You probably were asking it when we were in Hosea recently. This is in the Bible? And actually, Greg Boyd was realizing how many people were tripped up by this and they decided not to read the Bible anymore or not to believe in God. And he thought, I'm going to write a book explaining why all these violent depictions of God are in there. And so he started writing the book and he realized this is a horrible book. I can't write this book. So eventually, he goes to, just keeps his eyes on who Christ is, and he keeps thinking, okay, something else is going on with all these passages. He doesn't minimize Scripture. He doesn't minimize the importance of the topic and how hard it is. And this is what he does end up doing. He ends up going to who Jesus is, revealing who God is, and especially what Jesus was trying to communicate at that Passover meal about who he is and who God is. And ultimately, Greg Boyd ends up saying, trust that as the fullest revelation of God. Everything else is leading up to why we need that. Philippians 2, the Greek word for it is kenosis, a self-emptying love. God's self-emptying love, humble, that overcomes every angel of death there is inside us and outside us and around us. And one day, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because he so fully and so amazingly reveals the greatness of who God is. Now do you realize how little we know about God? One of our leaders told me she's traveling to Scotland this summer on what sounds like an awesome trip. And Scotland is a place that is rich in Presbyterian history. And she was asking me, do you wanna, uh, do you wanna tell me any places that I should go or any places where I should worship? And I've actually only been to Scotland once and that was to go way up north to this island only nine miles long called Iona. And I told her I would definitely recommend that she go there and, and I'll tell her why when we have time to talk about it, but I'll tell you why. So Iona, there's an active abbey there, an ancient abbey that was in disrepair, but it was rebuilt by George MacLeod in the 20th century. And there's an interesting story about George MacLeod that the background is given by John Philip Newell in his book, The Rebirthing of God. And I want to tell you a little bit of his background. He grew up in an um, aristocratic Scottish family. His dad was Sir John MacLeod, very respected political figure in Scotland. He grew up in a household where they had domestic help and they actually had printed menus for their evening meal each night. That gives you kind of a flavor. He went to the most prestigious exclusive school for boys in Britain, um, Winchester College. He went to Oriel College in Oxford. Afterwards, he became an officer in the British Army. He fought in World War I on the front lines in France. He was given the highest honor, military medal, that France gives for bravery. 
And at the end of the war, he was in a train. A lot of soldiers were returning home. And when he was in that train with all these soldiers, many of whom were wounded, McLeod experienced the presence of Jesus Christ in a very palpable way. Not separate from all the woundedness and all the struggle and all the pain, but very much within the woundedness and the pain, he experienced the presence of Jesus Christ. So much so that he fell down on his knees in that train car, surrounded by all these soldiers, and he gave his life to Christ. So after he went back, um, he actually studied for the ministry in the Church of Scotland. And at that point, he started calling himself a soldier of Christ. No longer a soldier in the British Army. He was a miles Christe, a soldier of Christ. And he said, if you're a soldier of Christ, then you will follow Jesus Christ. And if you follow the way of Jesus Christ, you will follow the way of nonviolence. George MacLeod became an enormously popular preacher in Scotland because he was so skilled and skilled at writing these wonderful prayers, public prayers that were very poetic and well-crafted. And so he could have any pulpit he wanted in that country, but he chose instead to go to the poorest part of Glasgow and to be a pastor there. But his real dream, his real dream was to rebuild the abbey in Iona and to make it a place that was committed to the vision and the practice of nonviolence. And he did that in 1938. Now, I guess George McLeod was quite a character. And so when he would meet somebody and have a conversation, the very first thing sometimes he liked to ask was, and this is a very Scottish country, first question he would ask oftentimes was, are you a Presbyterian or a Christian? <laughs> Wanted to make him think. And the other question he loved to ask to make him think, never met him before. He wouldn't say, hello, how are you? He would start out this way, do you believe in nonviolence? He wanted to make people think. I think George McLeod and Greg Boyd and young Lucy would have had a great conversation together. And I think they all would give us the same advice this morning as we move into Holy Week. And that is to keep your eyes on Jesus at his last Passover meal and what he wanted his disciples to know about him and what he wanted his disciples to know about God. You may not know what to do with all the rest of the biblical story, but trust him. Trust him. You know, it's interesting because that's the way the Bible ends. Last book in the Bible is what? Revelation. What a great title. Revealing who God is. Revelation is filled with all these powers, all these enemies, powers and principalities that threaten and intimidate and scare us. But always there's this constant reoccurring glimpse into the throne room. God is on the throne. And when they show us a glimpse into the throne room, what do we see? A lamb. A lamb. Now do you realize how little we know about God? As Lucy said, I hope this made you think. Thanks for listening.